Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Cross Wires. It's James here, and this week we have a fantastic episode. If you're like me and you have fond memories of spending all your pocket money down at the arcade, especially when you're on holiday, maybe you know you're at Haven Holidays and you're in the arcade and you want to play Outrun or Michael Jackson's Moonwalk or Thriller. There was one Michael Jackson game, and I just remember it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what the, you know, why the arcade is so nostalgic for people, a little bit more about where we stand now with the arcade, and also want to talk to our guest about something awesome that's happening in some mill down in Gloucestershire. So please welcome to the show Alex from Nintendo Arcade. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So, Alex, obviously, first of all, another shout out to Neil, because I emailed you off the back of one of your videos, actually off the back of Neil's video, and said, hey, Alex, it'd be really cool to get you on the show. And then I get a message in Discord from Neil saying, don't worry, James, I'll vouch for you to Alex. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Yeah, I've had a lot of people asking me after that video about certain things, so it's all good. It's all good. I love it. I enjoy it. I enjoy talking about video games. So it's a great opportunity to uh, express myself, you know, on a podcast. Absolutely. So, Alex, before we get into a little bit of the arcade, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself, maybe where your story started and, you know, maybe what your your gaming pedigree is? Yeah, so um, I'm from London. I'm from Twickenham. Grew up in Twickenham, the, the home of English rugby. <laughs> Not that I was really into rugby, but I was kind of forced to to play it really at school because every other school oh, in that yeah. borough was playing rugby. My first experience with video games really is like probably most people going on holiday and going to a seaside town and seeing these little amusements that were on the on the promenade there and seeing back then, I don't know, it was probably a lot of electrical mechanical games, mm. not many video games. They were fun and I enjoyed going in them. My dad was never that keen, but I, I, I forced my parents to take me in there and, and thoroughly enjoyed myself, you know. And then I remember going around to one of my dad's friend's house and he had a little Pong machine. Oh, yeah. Black and white Pong machine. I remember playing that and actually loving that game. We played that all night long and took back lots of fun memories playing that game. Um, and it wasn't really until Space Invaders came along that, that really changed my it changed my life, really, because the, uh, it's responsible for all of this around me. <laughs> we used to go to Heathrow Airport. Me and my friend Paul we used to go to Heathrow because we were keen plane spotters. And that was when plane spotting was cool. We, you know, when you used to go and watch Conkle take off. Oh, yeah. You know, and they had like a canteen area and a plane a spotting area that you could watch the planes from, but also had a couple of arcade machines in there and Space Invaders was one of them. And I remember playing it in there for the first time and also at my local swimming baths, they had a Space Invaders machine in there and I remember queuing up around the block to play it um, outside. Just just to be clear, just for for anyone concerned, that was outside of a pool area, not like you didn't just jump out of the pool. Yeah, it wasn't in the swimming pool itself. It was in the sort of foyer area. Good, That's where the weirdest places they put these machines. You know, they put them in places like there was no health and safety back then. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Kids walking out the pool with wet feet, you know, <laughs> or let's just tread over the, the mains cable. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> but it was it, it, the machine itself blew us away. And it wasn't just the game, it was that the artwork and how the machine was put together because it was a little bit of an illusion it's called pepper's ghost it's got a half mirror in there 
and it's an old way of creating illusion. So there's a monitor at the bottom, and it goes up through a half mirror, which is then projected onto a background, and it gives the illusion of depth. It's called Pepper's Ghost. It's an old, old illusion they were doing in the 1800s, and they used it in these arcade machines. And as kids, we couldn't work it out how, how it created this depth, and we used to go around the back of the machine to see how it worked, and we were just totally blown away, you know, and queued up for ages to play it, only to last like a minute <laughs> and then queue <laughs> up again. And it, it kind of changed us, really. And then you started seeing little handheld games appear in, in toy shops, you know, Woolworths and stuff. And it was kind of a way of taking Space Invaders home with us with these little handheld games from uh, Grandstand, you know, and all those other makers of the time so those were my first experiences with video games and then i remember getting a sinclair spectrum for christmas 48k 1982 must have been somewhere around then and started collecting games so my collecting starts in 1982 and i've still got all my original spectrum games that i brought with my paper round money every week i'd spend all my paper round money on a spectrum game go home and it was normally an arcade port onto the spectrum and it was usually rubbish (laughs) (laughs) but you know we were living it in our bedrooms you know the fun of the arcades and then i guess going forward a bit faster i left school in 87 got out of video games and then got back into it in 91 when the super nintendo came out and it was running i remember seeing street fighter running on on the super nintendo thought it was incredible absolutely incredible and then for the first time we were actually seeing arcade ports that were actually really faithful to the arcade games and that changed everything and ever since then i've been a bit of a 16-bit collector arcade collector i guess i've been collecting arcade games for about 12 years so i've been in the hobby about 12 13 years i'm a member of a couple of forums uh uk vac and jammer plus well that's gone now but i was a member of that and yeah i've just met like-minded people that are into the hobby, that remember the fun times, the good times as a kid, you know. And then it's opened up a whole world of friendships for me. It really has. I was speaking with um, Dan and Ravi from Retro last week, and that's one of the things that they highlighted is the community around Retro is, I wouldn't say unlike anything else, but it's such a strong community. I've met generally some wonderful people and had so many wonderful guests on this show who are a part of that community. I'll say, I'll say it again, Crosswires is not intentionally a retro show, but some of my favourite episodes have been with retro content because it brings back my memory. So putting aside the 16-bit era just for a moment because there are some great little gems in there. What is it, do you think, about the, you know, the, the arcade machines that draw people to put their coins in? You said, obviously, with Space Invaders, it wasn't just the game. It was the, the artwork. And it's one of the things I've always noticed is that, obviously, I guess, uh, do they call it, uh, I think in emulation, we call it attract mode. But the idea that these, ba- these banners, these panels are to attract you to come and play the game. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, the cabs back then were, with an arcade machine, <laughs> it's all about the lights and the artwork. That's what kids love. They love pushing buttons, don't they? You know, they come up to it, they don't even know what they're doing. They just press a button. They're all brightly colored. They've got these fantastic characters and kids just are drawn into that machine, regardless of what the game is. They find out what the game is after they've seen the machine, you know. <laughs> And and that's what it was like for us kids back then. 
you know, and it was a wonderful time of pioneers, really. They were didn't really know, a lot of the companies back then didn't really know which way the um, video game industry was going. They were literally just trying every little avenue they could to win over kids' coins, you know. Um, and that meant that you had all these video games with different control mechanisms and different ways of drawing you in, whether it be a half mirror, uh, whether it be twin sticks, whether it be a steering wheel, you know, whether it be skis, you know, (laughs) pair of skis on some arcade machines, everything, you name it, they've done it to draw kids in. For me, you could put an an arcade cabinet in a room on its own and that'd be like a piece of art for me. It would just stand out on its own in the Tate Gallery and it'd be like, wow, that is art (laughs) for me. I love it. And this is what I love about the hobby because there's so many different angles you can come at it from. You can come at it from a gamer's point of view. You know, I've done lots of game room tours, gone around to people's houses, and everyone collects or does something different in the hobby. Whether they're tech guys, maintenance guys, they love playing around with the electronics and fixing things. You've got the guys that just love to go for high scores, you know. You've got the guys that like to restore the cabinets. There's there's so many different ways that you can come at this hobby and meet like-minded people, you know. But at the end of the day, we all like the same thing, you know. And I, I think that, and I think that's just fascinating. I see the passion. One of the things I said to you before we started recording is, you know, obviously watched a few of your videos, and just your passion just comes through and it's something again that's seen the retro scene is just people's passion so let's talk a little bit about some of the innovations in arcade obviously you know space invaders using that um, pepper's ghost which i know disney use a lot in their theme park rides yeah. for some of the illusion i think like the haunted mansion uses a pepper's ghost effect yeah to, for the ghosts and, and as you said it gives that depth if you were to i mean obviously putting you on the spot a little bit here but if i were to ask you to maybe pick let's say two or three of the most innovative games, maybe across the span from, you know, from the early 80s, right through to, I mean, for me, I'd say, I would argue, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Arcade probably peaked uh, early 2000s, late 90s? Well, for me, the Arcades died out when the 16-bit consoles came about because really they were we were the kids that were in the, the classic era of arcades that were putting money into the machines and then we suddenly found out that we could play the games and bigger and better games at home so we stopped going down the arcade so for me from my point of view the arcades died out around about the late 80s and they came back again they had a bit of a resurgence again when street fighter came back back in um you had new kids on the block coming in playing that game getting good at the fighters but i you know i like to play them at home so for me it's around about the late 80s so for me the classic era for me is 78 to around about 89 that's my era they're the games i love because they were innovators they were pioneers they were doing things differently and the, the you had dedicated cabinets then with all the artwork before jammer came along um, and made it kind of a universal thing, and then then you saw the decline of the dedicated machines, and it just got a little bit a little bit boring, you know, in the arcades, not at home. That's a really interesting point, yeah. And you know, as you said, Jammer is one. So Jammer is something that correct me if I'm wrong. Most uh, modern arcade machines. So from that point where Jammer came along, the idea is you could have a cabinet with uh, control sticks and buttons. Yeah. And the idea would be that 
you could have boards, I guess the, the arcade equivalent of cartridges, that you could just interchange into a, a, a standard jammer cabinet. Is that... Well, what happened was you had the video gaming crash in America, and that affected a lot of the big companies, all of them, in fact. You know, what was happening is they were producing these games so quickly and they, they couldn't get them out fast enough. And then kids were, I mean, video, the video game industry moves so quickly. You know, we play a game for a little bit, then we want the next one. We want the next one with the better graphics. So kids were constantly looking for the better game to play and stop playing the old ones. So it left a lot of machines redundant. And it cost a lot of money to make those dedicated machines. So what happened was a lot of the Japanese companies agreed to come together and form a consortium where they all agreed they'd have a universal adapter. So they would fit their PCB, their game board would fit in every, well, in a jammer cabinet. With that loom, that adapter would fit that PCB. So it saved the companies on constantly making these dedicated cabinets of all the artwork. It just meant all you, all you had to do was maybe change the marquee and maybe some side art, and that was it. I mean, you didn't even have to do that if you didn't want to. You could just slip the board in. It would fit into a jammer, jammer connector. So a lot of the big companies signed up to it, like Namco. I mean, there were companies already doing that. Nintendo had already invented the Versus system. So they were they didn't really get affected by the video game crash. They were being they were quite successful. They had the Versus system. They had the Play Choice Ten. You know, and then other companies like Sega jumped on board with the Megatech system, you know, and realized, you know, they were missing out. So they invented their system. And then eventually everyone else thought, okay, this is the way to go. You know, it's just a lot cheaper than constantly making these dedicated machines of all the artwork, unique controls. I mean, there were still companies making these dedicated machines, but they got bigger. You know, they, they turned into gun games, and obviously driving games were still had to be dedicated. Um, but and, and that's what you still see in the arcade today. You see driving games and gun games, don't you? Because they they need those those controls. Those, yeah, those. I mean, I remember. You know, one of my favorite. You know, we talk about classic games, Daytona yeah. and Sega Rally being those classic examples. I mean, you know, some of the motorbike games, like those four up, you know, you and three of your mates sat on replica motorcycles. Yeah. You know, looking like absolute idiots. Yeah. Racing. And then, you know, as you said, anything that's maybe a bit more custom, but you know, like the big, the big units. I'm trying to think of some examples of really big, like huge arcade like the enclosed, what late, what ones you see today or back then? Yeah, or uh, like in the nineties, because that's my, you know, I'm a little bit younger. In the nineties, yeah. Well, I guess Outrun was a big dedicated machine. Yeah, I mean Sega were doing the Sega the Scalar games, so you had Super Hang On, you had Space Harrier, but yep. that was sort of eighty seven, eighty eight around that era. The nineties for me is jammer games and i love jammer games you know that's why i've got two jammer cabinets here i put a lot of my terror plan games in there i love playing those and they didn't they just come as kits that you just got a marquee and that was it and the pcb and that was it so that would mean then you know we talk go back to our seaside town mm. and let's say that your little amusement arcade on bournemouth peter could buy say four or maybe ten jammer machines 
and just change the games out as they saw felt what was popular at the time. Yeah. Whereas obviously with dedicated hardware, you are stuck with, you know, and I guess there is a, an appeal to that because, correct me if I'm wrong, dedicated hardware, dedicated machines probably have more custom art and custom designs for that game. Yeah. Whereas, as you said, you can change the sign pads, you can change the marquee. You know, I think, you know, I've seen that sort of thing where you go in one week and it's, say, Golden Axe, for example, and then later on it's something else. It's maybe... Kung Fu Master or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. I mean, in the UK, we had a lot more bootleg and, and, and jammer games. Um, the US was king of the dedicated cabinet. In fact, the US, uh, some of the best companies came out of the US in the classic era and made the best dedicated machines, I think. And then the Japanese technology, the Japanese companies slowly caught on, caught up and started making boards a lot cheaper. You know, the chips were a lot cheaper. And then you saw started seeing a lot of Japanese games heading into the market. And, and that's how the industry evolved, really. You know, it was the Americans that started it all. We've got to thank the moon landings for that, because if it wasn't JF Kennedy investing so much money into NASA and making these chips on such a, a, a an industrial scale, they wouldn't have been that cheaper in the 70s, if you see what I mean. I do. No, I see. Yeah, that direct result of the need for... Yeah. Yeah, and look. And a lot of the early guys that worked for Atari had jobs at NASA before they worked at Atari. So, you know, these are old guys that um, are just finding a way that really just playing around with technology, you know, and trying to find, make money out of it. Weren't really into games. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, even today, I mean, we're both recording on, on Macs and Steve Jobs worked at Atari. He did indeed, yeah. We, you know, we owe Atari a lot. You know, let's maybe brush aside certain individuals who don't have the best track record, but, and Atari as it stands right now with their NFT nonsense. Yeah. But some some wonderful games and some wonderful memories. Again, you know, I have more memories of maybe 16-bit era games. But, you know, when I you know, when I launched my, um, my RetroPie, I definitely go in and look at some of the arcade games. I'm like, yeah, I love like things like 1942 and just some of those classics. Yeah. So before we, there's a, something that you've kind of been involved in and we'll, we'll come to that in a moment in terms of an, an actual quote-unquote lost arcade game. But going back to sort of those, those iconic games, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit. If I were to ask you for maybe a couple of your your absolute standout games from that period, so from the seventy eight up to say eighty nine period, if if maybe we can call this desert island arcade, for the idea of getting stranded on a desert island with arcade machines, have I got a ten to choose from, or how many have I got to pick? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be kind for time reasons. I'll give you five to choose five. from. Ooh. I know. Okay, it's not too hard actually. Defender, which is a game. Back in the day, I wanted to love, but didn't have enough money to get good at it. Because, again, it was all about how much money you had in your pocket. You know, you can only spend so much time on it, depending on how much money you had. <laughs> you know, it's not until you get it in your collection, you become, it's in your ownership, that you can start really getting into the game and finding out how good it really is. <clears throat> and Defender, <clears throat> since it's been in my ownership, has been the game. <clears throat> and I think it's one of those games that, 
when it's played really well, it looks amazing. To watch the top players play it, it looks fantastic. And I got quite good at it. Um, I broke my arm a couple of years ago. And it was the only game I could play in my arcade that actually I could lean my arm on the control panel and play. I, I couldn't play Robotron anymore because it was too much effort. But Defender seemed to just sort of, I've just played it non-stop the whole time, got quite good at it. So that is definitely my number one game. I love it. Love it so much. It's such a cool game. Robotron, another Williams-Eugene Jarvis game. Um, Twin-stick shooter, an absolute masterpiece. What makes these games good is the risk-reward element. It's perfect. Because as human beings, we get greedy, right? Yeah. And that's normally why we die in games. Because we just oh, yes. we just get one more thing. Ah, I'm dead. <laughs> Whereas if you just leave it, you know, and just take your time around the level, you would have probably got off that level, you know. But Robotron just entices you in to get one more human, rescue one more human. And it's just an absolute classic of a game, a twin-stick shooter game. The sounds, the Williams sounds, are just totally out there, totally of that era, you know. Two fantastic games. I've got to include Donkey Kong. Of course. One of the first games to have, like, a damsel in distress and platforms and characters, you know. And, of course, The Birth of Mario. As a character. Yeah, Jumpman, as he was called then. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Donkey Kong's a fantastic game. I've got to throw in a couple of, well, early you, 90s. I, I'll let you have a few more, by all means. <laughs> go for it, yeah. I'm not that um, bad. There's another game I like called iRobot, which I had, I used to play. It's by Atari, by the way, and it's one of the first games that had polygon graphics. A Dave Fuhrer game, very rare game, highly desirable amongst collectors, um, I used to play it in Twickenham in my local arcade, and I'd love to have that in my collection because that would be one of my other favourite games, but I don't own that. I like Super Hang On. I think that's a fantastic driver, if you want to call it a driver, even though it's a motorbike game. It's got great music, draws you in, plays really well. It's very forgiving. It rewards a skillful rider. It's just a joy to play. I think it's one of the best drivers out there. Yeah, I think it's better than OutRun. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really good. Um, I love I love Asteroids Deluxe. I love Tempest. And I'll throw in a tower plan game, Outzone. I love Outzone. That's a brilliant shooter. You know, it's a, it just continue on, continues on from what Commando did, Capcom's Commando, and just does it 10 times better. It's just brilliant. So there you go. There's my, there's my lot. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Now, one game we didn't mention, Mer, is one that you've kind of been quite involved with in terms of, you know, it's kind of like Raiders of the Lost Arcade, this. And this is a, now, I believe it's an unreleased, is correct, Nintendo Arcade game. Yeah, it was an unreleased game. It was an unreleased. It was such a long story, this, and such a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> How much time have we got? <laughs> oh, we, we've got time. We've got time. I mean, maybe, maybe give us the, um, I was going to say the Omnibus edition, but that'd be even longer. What's, like, give us the... Um... Well, let me, let me, okay, let me roll, let me rewind. So I've been in the hobby 13 years. When I started in the hobby, I wanted to collect every Nintendo game. There was a lot of American collectors out there that had all of the Nintendo uprights. Um, but they didn't have a lot of the the games that we got in the UK, strangely enough. And I think it was because this was before... See, Nintendo of America was almost a different company. It's the same... It's like a 
a sister company from the Japanese company, if you like. Well, we had but, different presidents, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah, set up in 1980. But Nintendo were making games before 1980, but they had a dis- different distributor. In fact, they had a few different distributors. Sega was one of them. Sega wow. Dis- Sega distributed a lot of Nintendo games. Because Sega were in the arcades long before Nintendo were. So they knew how the avenues to get into all the arcades. So Nintendo went to Sega and said, look, we've made this game. Can you distribute it? And they said, yes. So they distributed some really rare Nintendo games from the get-go, you know. And I started finding some of them. I had a, a, a very rare space launcher. I've got a very rare uh, Nintendo Sheriff which is one of the rarest games in the world. (laughs) There's only about three or four of them known to exist, and mine's probably in the best condition one out there. It's just amazing. And it's the first game by Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto. Oh, yes, yep, yep. So that is my pride in my collection. So I started collecting all these really rare and obscure Nintendo games, but there was one game that allured me. It was uh, Skyskipper. And I'd seen it in a couple of books. Florent Georges did a fabulous book of Nintendo's history, and he mentions it in his book. Yeah, he, he had a couple of pictures, but there was no real photographs of the game. Nothing existed on the internet. There was nothing out there at all. So I started digging around, researching, and I found a guy in Sweden that claimed he had a, a Skyskipper board, a PCB. But what it was, it was playing Popeye. So on every PCB, you've got a serial number. And Popeye's got its own serial number, but this had a different serial number. It was TNX01. And it's the way the ROMs are set out on the board. He, he could figure it out because it, the game was dumped in MAME. Okay, Skyskipper was in MAME. He could figure it out that it was Skyskipper originally. And it had been reverse engineered to play Popeye. And he was trying to reverse engineer it back to Skyskipper, but he hadn't succeeded. And I I asked him, would he sell it? He said, yeah, he'd sell it. And he wanted a couple of hundred quid for it, not a lot. And I, I, I had a guy that repaired a lot of my games. I said to him, do you reckon you could reverse engineer it back to Skyskipper? And he said, no, not without the schematics and not without another board. Because you need two boards to kind of cross-reference, you know, makes it easier. So I put that, I forgot about it and didn't buy the board. And it wasn't until about a year later, me and a bunch of UK vacas, which is the forum, uh, the UK arcade forum, we go on these raids, um, which is basically we, we go into an old operator's house or an old amusements by the seaside and buy up all their PCBs. It's not like we don't go in there with clavers on. Right no, I was going to ask, yeah. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Hold I've, got, I've got an image of you lot down on Bournemouth Seafront yeah. raiding the arcades now. <laughs> going in with a shotgun. It's like, put your hands up. Give me your games. <laughs> I've just, sorry, I've just got a scene of, um, I don't have you seen Lock, Stock and Two Smoking yeah, yeah, Barrels yeah. with us too? <laughs> yeah, no, they, you know, it's just basically buy them out really and they, they're happy to sell them because they're these are games that um, no longer make them any money. They've been sitting there on the shelf for 30 years and they just want to make some money and retire. So we went in there and I went up there with my friend Ollie and I joked with Ollie. I said to him, wouldn't it be funny if we found a skyskipper in there? And um, we got in there, met the old boy. He was in his 70s and he had racks and racks of PCBs on this wall. And Ollie got up there on the ladder and he started passing me down these really rare games like, 
Midway's Tron, Dissatron, uh, Atari boards, you know, you name it. All the classic 80s games were there. And then he hands me this board. He says, oh, Alex, it's Popeye. I don't like that game. You have it. Popeye, is it? Okay, listen, I look. On, I looked on the PCB. And because I knew or had been looking at the guys, one in Sweden, I knew straight away it wasn't a Popeye. It had TNX-01 on it which meant it was a skyskipper, and I could not believe it. <laughs> I could not believe it. Because we'd said on, we joked on the way up there. And I just thought, what, what are the chances of that, finding the rarest game on the planet Earth? <laughs> and we joked about it on the way up, and there I am holding it, and I brought it for a pound. Wow. <laughs> All the boards were like a pound each. They were so cheap. It was crazy. So now I've got two, I've, I've got a board in my hands. I've got this guy in Sweden, so I brought that board off him. Then I went to my friend Mark and said, right now, can you reverse engineer it to Skyskipper? Cut a long story short, he did it in about three months. It took him a while because there was a custom chip on there that caused him some problems. But he did it. You know, I kept going back every couple of weeks, seeing the progress. We had sprites. We had moving graphics, you know, and then suddenly we had a game. And it was like, wow. Then I did a video on my channel. So I'm, I'm a YouTuber. I've got my own YouTube channel. I did a video on that. Got a bit of attention from that, a lot of attention from UK, uh, US collectors. And then, and then I kind of hit a bit of a brick wall because I didn't know what to do then because I had these two boards. I had two Skyskipper boards. What I wanted to do is recurate the cabinet, but I had no information on this cabinet at all. There was a bit of artwork on the internet of a marquee, and then we found some um, old trade catalog magazines that were released in japan there was a couple of pictures of skyskipper in there so i was going to get an artist to kind of make up the artwork out of what we had but it wasn't really good enough you know it wasn't the original it wasn't it wasn't original no and i had a friend whitney who does the broken token podcast it's a arcade and pinball podcast in america that i befriended and I mentioned this to him. He said he'd be interested in buying one of the boards. And I thought, okay. Well, I said, well, that, that's great, Whitney, but it's, what, what can we do with it? You know, I want to recreate the cabinet. I know I know it was made, but there's no, no pictures of it everywhere, but I know it was made. Anyway, one weekend in Louisville, where Whitney's from, he went to a, a gaming show and Billy Mitchell was there. And Whitney went up to Billy Mitchell and he said, look, my friend's got these boards this this game called skyskipper by nintendo you wouldn't have known about that would you because we heard rumors that when billy mitchell got his world record on donkey kong he got invited to nintendo of america and they honored him for getting the world record on donkey kong and we heard rumors that he had played skyskipper in the lobby in noa so it had to exist but the cabinet was there it was there it was a rumour, though. We wasn't, like, set in stone or anything. We just had to find out through him. And he went, oh, my God, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. He said to Whitney, he said, yep, yeah, I played it, and I can't believe you found the boards. He said, well, we'd, 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 we want to get the art. We've got these boards. We want to recreate this cabinet. We don't know anything about it. We didn't even know it wasn't unreleased. We didn't know anything about this game at this point. So anyway, uh, Billy Mitchell put us in touch with um, a few ex-Nintendo employees, and they put a good word in for us with Don James, who is the chief executive of NOA. And he dealt with a lot of the arcade games in Nintendo's early years. Okay. And, and he's still there now. He's still head of Nintendo. Basically, 
I think I can't remember how it went now. I don't know whether it was Whitney or Bit Billy Mitchell emailed Don James. It's such a long time ago now, it's five years ago. But basically he said, Look, a couple of good lads here, they they've got these skyskipper boards. They just want to know whether this skyskipper game existed, you know. And he got back to us. He got back to us, yes, it still exists. It's in the warehouse. If you guys want to come down and see it, you're welcome. I mean, what's your plans? And we said, Well, we'd love to scan it. We want to scan the machine and recreate it. He said, well, we, had, we, we need to know proof that you've got this board. So he sent me, sent him a link to my video so they could, they verified me as a genuine person with these boards. And they said, yeah, come down. <laughs> so wow, they invited me and Whitney to NOA to scan this machine. I couldn't go at the time, which was absolutely gutting because it would have been one of the best days of my life going in there and seeing it. But Whitney went on my behalf because at this point, Whitney's brought the other PCB. Okay, I sold sold the other one to him, and he's really helping out stateside. He goes to the lobby, and he sits there with one of the employees, and they tell him the whole story. This this game was never released. They made twelve cabinets. Um, they put them on play testing in Washington D.C. in all the colleges around there, and it only got around twenty. There's like a little coin counter inside the cabinet, and it tells you how many times people put money in, and it got like twenty thousand plays which is nothing compared to like Donkey Kong like the year before. They've got over 100,000. So they decided to scrap it. They destroyed 11 of the cabinets and kept one. And that's the one that's in Nintendo of America today. So Whitney went there, got invited in, uh, met Don James. Uh, he let him scan the whole machine, took all pictures inside. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. So with that... With all the artwork vectorized, we were now able to do all the artwork and recreate the cabinet. So that's what we did. Whitney did his first, and he revealed it to the world in Atlanta. Um, we went on stage with Billy Mitchell, Walter Day, and revealed it to the world, this this game that never was released because it just didn't fare well. And then I did my UK reveal at the Arcade Club a year later. So he had a skyskipper machine and I had a skyskipper machine with the two boards that I found running original skyskipper hardware. About a year later, Don James released it on the Switch. <laughs> so it finally got out there to everyone, you know, and that's the story. I'm sure I've missed some bits out. But it's, it's a while ago now. What a wonderful story, though. And it's it's great to find those gems. And, you know, I saw, you know, I watched the video of it you sent me of, that reveal and it's just so fascinating yeah and you know we're talking about these lost treasures and you know being able to experience those now you're working on something at the moment with neil from rmc so just for a bit of background neil and heber electronics at the mill put out a, a sort of joint thing saying hey because all the team at heber are now be able to work from home we've got all this empty space at this gorgeous mill and i haven't been there but from all the videos, it is a beautiful old mill. Mm. And they were looking for businesses to come in. And I think the idea was it to be maybe related to what Neil was doing. Yes. And there was lots of ideas. I remember seeing in the Discord great ideas like, you know, um, like a Games Master recreation, someone suggested, I think. Um, games. <laughs> yeah, like with like a monument to Patrick Moore. And for, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, go and youtube yeah. search games master it was a classic show yeah. um and in fact again to plug neil neil's actually done an interview with dominic diamond who was one of the hosts of that show that's right but 
more got focusing back on on yourself. So, uh, from what I understand, you've sort of taken up the call. So, what on earth are you doing at the mill? <laughs> it's trouble in the mill, lad. Well, I've been watching Neil's channel for a while. It's, it's such a great channel. It really is. He's so professional. What he's done up there with that computer music is just absolutely incredible. It really is. You've got to go and see it. I just thought, you know, what what will complement that best? An arcade. It just just you know, come to me straight away. Why, why wouldn't it? You know, we used to go to the arcade as kids and then we'd go back home and play the, the, the ports on the Spectrum, the BBC, like he's got up in his computer museum, you know? So it just made sense to have an arcade in there. And I was, I was already talking to Neil a little bit. I invited him round here, but I know how busy he is and stuff. But then I approached him with my idea and he was like, yeah, great. He came round and saw my arcade. He came with Richard as well. And two lovely guys, two very honourable, honest guys. Yeah. And I just felt right with them, you know. I just thought they were the best people to do it with. They made me feel confident to do it, safe as well, you know. Felt I was in good hands. Um, because, you know, it's not the best time to start a business up at the moment. Do you know what I mean? I just thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go for this. Because I've been built, I'm in the building game since I was 16. Since I broke my arm, it's been very difficult for me to work. And I'd, I'd, I've always wanted to change careers, you know, and this just thought this is the ideal opportunity for me. I'm passionate about what, I, what, what I'm doing. I love talking to people, you know, this is great. So I went for it. I went for it. So what we're doing is we're, we're creating an arcade museum. And in this place, it's not just going to be an arcade. It's going to be a place where we're actually going to learn something as words have some fun. <clears throat> and I'm going to try and tell a story from some of the early black and white games um, we're hoping to have an Atari Pong in there. We're hoping to have a, an early Midway gunfight, which was one of the first games to, to use a microprocessor. You know, we're hoping to have a Seawolf. We're hoping to have loads, loads of games. My game, my collection is going to be in there. Skyskipper's going to be in there. That whole story with Skyskipper. Sheriff will be in there. You know, such a rare game that is, is going to be there for people to play, as well as all the classic games. And hopefully tell a story in an arc of the, the era of the pioneers, the pioneers of video games, right up to where it went into went into decline with the consoles and started to sort of move out into Jammer and Street Fighter. And that's the sort of point we're going to cut off. Which makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, I'm getting the impression someone could come into this, this wonderful museum you're going to have set up and start... You know, at Pong, yeah, and go on a time travel journey through the arcade and exactly. through the, the pioneers, and just like Neil's museum, this isn't these are locked behind glass cabinets and are on demo mode. No, you can play them all. Yeah, you'll be able to play them all. That's the whole. That was what they were made for. I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, there was a couple of people saying, "I would loan you cabs, but I want a rope round it." And I said, "No, that's not really what we're trying to achieve here." <laughs> I appreciate no. you loaning me your cab. I really do. But these machines are social objects. They were made for people to play. I appreciate they don't want them on all the time. In fact, some of the games like Pong, we might only have on for a couple of hours because it is really old. Um, it might not like being heated up for that long. So we might have sort of windows in a day where we say to people, look, Atari Pong's going to be on from one till two or whatever, one till three, um, if you want to play it. But, you know, all the other games are going to be on all the time. We've got to have it all on the original hardware as much as possible because that's the whole point of a museum, isn't it? Keeping the original stuff going. 
Absolutely. And, you know, because... And that's something we'll actually talk about is how people can maybe enjoy arcade stuff today. But it sounds like this is going to be a fantastic experience. And I think there's something, as you said, very social about arcade and Mm. seeing, you know, people's names in the high scores. Yeah. And just be able to compete with each other. Yeah, we hope to have, well, I hope to have like a, a high score table or on each game. I hope to maybe get arcade involved or maybe just have our own high score UK system. You know, nice. We can maybe even link up with other arcades. You know, people can. Wouldn't that be down. great? Yeah, because it is, it is a great community. You know, people like Andy Palmer, who runs the arcade club, who I know very well. He congratulated me the other day and said all the best. And if you wanted to borrow some games, you're more than welcome to. And that's that's what the community is about. You know, so if we can link maybe the arcades up, would be cool. Have have talks, have uh, people down within the industry or people that have made a dent in the community, you know, in some way or another, talk about their achievements, you know, for an hour as well, you know, and then you go off and play the games. You know, they're, they're the sort of things I want to try and achieve because it's not a huge space, but it's enough there to tell a story and hopefully we can rotate the games every three months or whatever. And a lot of the games in there are going to be on loan from the community. So it is a community base, a hub. I'm hoping to have a lot of the UK VAC meets there uh, for collectors. And, and anyone else that wants to join, that's the whole thing. Get the public involved and get them joined into the hobby, you know. Excellent. And so, obviously, we'll keep you all updated. And please do go and subscribe to uh, to Alex's channel because I assume you're going to be doing a lot of video content on the building of this. Yeah, I've got to do one tomorrow. I've got to do another video. I've got to get a video out once a week now. <laughs> So um, I've got the joys of being a YouTuber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Alex, I mean, this is exciting, but you know, not everyone has the, the funds or the ability to collect machines or maybe even the, the space or probably more important, the significant other consent yeah. to collect because these are big machines, you know, and, and especially, I guess one thing we should probably know is with this current cost of living crisis, I guess we're also quite expensive to run. Yeah, they can be. I mean, especially if you don't know how to fix them. I mean, I'm not, I hand put my hands up in the air. I'm not very good at fixing them at all. I mean, I've got sausages for fingers because I'm a builder, right? I've got a broken arm that's not really been calibrated properly since it was broken. So it sort of drifts off. So little tiny things, fixing things, I'm not very good at. Um, so I have to have other people do that for me. But again, but, that's what we've got a community for, right? I mean, exactly. And that's where sort of Richard and Heber step, in, step up to the mark. They're, they're going to hopefully repair a lot of the machines. Just for some background for people who don't know, Richard's company, Heber, are an electronics company. And they are the company that have partnered with Neil on the Mr. Multisystem that we've talked about before. That's correct. So they are expertly placed. Yeah, I mean, this is a partnership between all three of us, and that's what's great. We all bring something to the table, and it's it's brilliant. It's working out really well. But for anyone looking to get into the hobby, which I think your question was really yeah. aimed at, you know, join UK VAC. There's plenty of people on there that help you out, you know, and you can find cheap cab steel. They're, they're out there. you just got to keep looking, and you will get lucky. Uh, there are cheap games out there. There's lots of cocktails that are cheap to pick up. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's plenty of friendly people on the forum that will help you out with all of that. As far as space is concerned, I can't help you there. <laughs> you know, uh, I've struggled. I think every collector struggles with, with space. It's their, their, their bane of their life. <laughs> 
But what about, I mean, what's your take? I mean, we talked before the episode, We, you know, you talked about um, Skyskipper coming to the Switch. I think we were saying, because, you know, we're both big fans of our Nintendo Switches. One of the things I was saying is, from my point of view, the Switch is kind of one of the best ways to enjoy some retro games on a portable, but also, you know, TV-based system. Yeah, it's not going to be, obviously, original hardware, mm. but what's your... I mean, I guess the question is, what's your take on things like the Switch? And if we go maybe a little bit broader in terms of things like... Now, I'm not going to call the Mr. System emulation because it's not, mm. but let's say Mr. and then maybe, you know, my fa- my personal favourite, RetroPie. Uh, what, do you think that's an accessible way for people to play some of these games or...? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Without a doubt, you know... you've got to be playing the games first and foremost, you know, that's the most important thing. Play the games on any means you can. Yeah. I've got pie in one of my jammer cabs just to play through some of the games I haven't played before. I couldn't, you couldn't collect all of the PCBs, you know, too expensive. And some of the, some of the arcade machines, you know, the boards are constantly going down. There's been a lot of, People make come forward and make FPGA boards. You've got the J-Rock board for the Williams games that you can just plug in, so you haven't got to worry. And you can still have the original boards in the in the machine, but you run it off an FPGA board, and you know every time you turn it on, you can get a game in. Because that's one thing. That's one thing I forgot about. Of course, is that there are jammer adapters yeah. for the Pi, so yeah. you can if you want to get go out and build. I mean, there's there's guides out there on people building. I've got one. It was in front of me. Where is it? I've got one somewhere. Yeah, I've got a, a Pi to Jammer setup that I can just plug in and just go through all the games. It's brilliant, you know, and that's the best way to do it. But, but as a, from a museum's point of view, you want to really have it as original as possible. That's the whole point. Otherwise, you know, you're just emulating what you've got at home, what everyone else has got. <laughs> you know, if you and there is a difference because a lot of the games, especially sort of the early pioneering games where they were a bit of a hybrid, really, they were still using logic and solid state together. You know, they had solid state for a lot of the graphics, but a lot of the sound was still coming from logic, you know, TTL stuff like Seawolf and that, they had loads of boards inside. And when you play that game on MAME, all the sounds are wrong. Some MAME dev has just gone there and made the sounds up, (laughs) you know. And there's something magical as well. You know, I I always remember going into the arcades, you you know, maybe the bigger ones, and just that soundscape of all the noises. I mean, it's one of the things I love about your uh, intro video to your channel. You get that hit of just arcade noise. Yes, yeah, and it's and it is so nostalgic. Yeah, and again, using you know, as you said, there will be differences in like Space Invaders, unless you've set up a Pepper's Ghost yourself. Yeah, you're not going to get that original feel. Exactly. You're, yeah, you're not going to see some of the you know the innovations. So as you, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Play the games, get used to the games, and then come and experience the original, how it was meant to be played. Yeah, and try and, and, try and imagine everything that's come after those games. Uh, try and imagine that they never existed. And you've walked in this room for the first time, you've never played a video game before in your life, and you see Space Invaders. That's what it was like for us kids, you know. There was no other games around, you know. That was it. That's how incredible it was. It's almost like, for my dad's generation, what rock and roll was for those guys, you know. It was a whole new sound. It, it started a whole new scene. 
you know, that's what video games was for us, like the rock and roll from my dad's era, you know, just a completely new sound and thing. That's a good point because now, you know, kids of today, they've got over on, you know, on their phones, they've got games. I mean, I have on here from Apple Arcade uh, the Gallagher Wars. Yeah. Which is a great game on the phone. Yeah. But it's nothing compared with the original. No. When you've got kids and, you know, and people like, you know, anyone really, being able to experience games wherever they go, mm. rather than it being almost a you know, a special experience, a treat, as it were. You know, as you said, going on holiday, being given your spends. You know, because my resounding memory memory of my nana is that she would always give me, my sister, spends every summer. Yeah. And we could spend it on whatever we want to. And, you know, um, we would go to the arcades, you know, and we would play just random things. I mean, you know, I loved playing the racing games. Because I can't drive, I always like to imagine I could. I was no good at the games either, to be fair. So, you yeah. know, thank, thankfully I'm not on the road. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, it's been an, uh, this has been such a pleasure. It's been such a wonderful trip. I'm genuinely excited to see what you do with this museum space. And I will say right here on public record, as soon as I have the means to get over, once you are up and running, I'm going to do a whap, double whammy visit and come and visit you and Neil. Oh, because as you said, yeah. what a compliment. Yeah, that's, I, I love it. I love that um, you want to come down and anyone else that wants to come down because you will be blown away when it's all finished. It's going to be amazing. You know, it already is amazing what Neil's done there. It's amazing. See, when I first met Neil and Richard, I walked up there. I'll never forget that day. I went there. They, they My first impressions of Neil and Richard were sort of on the sideline. They were behind this kind of bar area. And they went, it's Alex, right? And then I was just look. I didn't even look at them for a minute. I was just looking at all these games and all these computers. I was like, jaw just dropped. Hi, Richard. Hi, Neil. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> That's what everyone who's been to the cave has said. And, you know, yeah. I cannot advocate. I also want to say, of course, that we, I do focus a lot on Neil, but there are some also wonderful computing museums around the country and as you said there are some wonderful arcade clubs and arcade bars i think go and check out your local arcade space yeah what what, one thing what's great about what neil's doing he's got volunteers there i mean i'm there i like just going there and being a volunteer and and chatting to the cave dwellers as they come through the door i love it i love talking to people about the hobby and you know people like that you know they like being shown around and shown and, and being told a bit of the history instead of just reading a little bit of it, it, we can tell them a little bit more about it as well, as well as play. I like to play games when I'm quite competitive. <laughs> so it's like, come on then, let's, let's try and beat my score. Come on. <laughs> nice. and it gets people, you know, really pumped up for it. And and again, it's going to be a great experience. So yeah. I'm really excited. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you and your channel online? My cha- My YouTube channel is Nintendo Arcade. Um, but, but we're obviously going to have to change that soon. As soon as we've got the name for the museum, I'm going to change the name so it coincides with that. So all my videos will be done from the museum. Right. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Ninty Arcade, and Instagram as well, Nintendo Arcade. Brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say, because Nintendo might have a few things to say about you calling your museum Nintendo Arcade. Yeah, well, I think they have already checked me out, because obviously with the, uh, the Skyskipper thing, you know, they wanted to see how it was legit, so they have already seen my channel, but I think at that point it was so small. But if it, if it grows, they might 
have a concern about it. But yeah, it doesn't bother me to change the name anyway, to be honest with you. I mean, you, you could be, you could be creative, you know, um, because this well, is wonderful. Well, to be honest, chan- we do have a name in our head, but I can't mention it at the moment until uh, we've got the domain, the domain name for it. Mate, yeah, don't, yeah, don't, uh, yeah. don't let anyone go and get my domain. <laughs> I mean, one of my other favorite Nintendo, but this is more modern Nintendo YouTubers, uh, Nintendo. What a wonderful mm. channel name. He's oh, an American yeah. chap. Yeah, yeah. And he does more of a modern, you know, the modern era. Yeah. Yeah. I love all that too. I love watching the modern stuff as well. See what's happening. I mean, some of my favourite games are on the Switch. You know, when I think about the games that I enjoy playing socially... Yes. Mario Kart. Yeah, we didn't touch on the Switch. Do you know what? Let's let's talk about the Switch quickly. Yeah, because I've got over 100 games on the Switch. (laughs) I'm a massive physical collector of the Switch. I don't... Unless it's not getting a physical release ever, I'll I'll download it if it's a good game, but I'd much prefer the physical release... I've got a lot of retro-inspired games on the Switch, a lot of arcade special editions like the Darius box set, the Castlevania Castlevania box set. I've got, you know, the Neo Geo games on there, R-types and loads of arcade ports. are just amazing. It really And, of is. course, if you're, a, if you're a Switch Online subscriber, you get a lot of... You get Nintendo's on the base Switch Online, you get... A load of NES games yes. and a load of SNES games as well. Yeah. So going back to that 16-bit era, when, as you said, games started to it become less, it became less and less compelling to put your money into the arcade because you had such great games at home. It's like that line, isn't it? No, we've got Nintendo at home, darling. Exactly. And actually, you do. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something magical about the Switch because again, it's a portable system that you know plays really well on TV. Most of my time is spent on on the TV, but. There's just something, the games, particularly Nintendo first-party games, yeah. you know, I think of things like Mario Kart. Recently, you know, I, I, I got the Super Mario All-Star, yeah. 3D All-Stars pack. But you also, as you said, we're also seeing like R-Type coming out there and also some older gen, so some older top-level games. The Switch on paper has a terrible processor mm. and is really underpowered. But game devs seem to be able to really push it. Like, I've, you know, I played um, the 2016 Doom yes. on my Switch yeah. because at the time I didn't have a system capable of running it. Yeah, it plays fine. It does. It, yeah. it, we take out some of the detail, but it plays fine, as you said. Yeah. And there's some un- other wonderful games. I, I'm just such a big fan of that as a console. I think, you know, maybe we get spoiled I've never been into the whole PS5 and the latest Xbox, latest PlayStation. I, you know, I've had Xbox consoles, but... Well, I think it's time. I mean, I've got a PS4 and I started playing Elden Ring, which is right up my street. It's Dungeons and Dragons, which I was into back in the day. And the creations, the, the imagination that these game developers have for these enemies is just out of this world. It's just incredible to see. But the game is so huge. And it doesn't hold your hand, just throws you straight out in there, which is great, but it's massive. And I just don't have that time to invest in it. I'd much, much rather have a quick blast on an arcade game, try and beat my old score, you know, and then upload it to the group and see if someone can beat me. You know, it's just a little bit, because we all got busy lives, you know. We're not teenagers anymore sitting around in our bedroom for days on end finishing games, are we? Well, speak for yourself. Yeah. Um- <laughs> I mean, if Zelda comes along, I always make an effort to finish Zelda. There's yes. a couple of games I always make an effort to finish Zelda, Metroid, Castlevania, 
you know, those are the sort of three main games that I like to finish when they do come out because it's such a joy to play. I'm such a huge fan of Breath of the Wild yeah, as, a, as a game. Amazing. Just, yeah, just yeah. that puzzle mechanic. And, you know, some of my favourite memories have been watching my my mum, and mum, if you're listening, you know it's true, play Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just hilarious. And yeah. my nephew being incredibly cheeky whenever I lose, which is most of the time. So, do you like turn-based games? Turn-based strategy I games. I do. I love turn-based strategy. You played, played Mario Rabbits. Um, I haven't. I keep meaning to get that. I also there's a game I mean to pick up, but we've remade for the Switch. The Advance Wars remake. Oh yes, yeah, that's another good one. Because I had that on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, Mario Rabbits was just an absolute joy to play. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Julian Gollop, who developed a lot of games for Sinclair Spectrum, and then he went on to make some more famous games like XCOM on the PS1, and and Mario Rabbits is kind of a fun take on that. You know, it's just brilliant with the Nintendo characters. I love it. I I don't think you can go wrong with a Switch, honestly, and I, I highly recommend it as a way to get into some of those games. And if it's, you know, again, if you don't have a gaming PC or don't have a console... The Switch is a great option. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to play Skyskipper as well on the Switch. Yeah, do you know what? I'm actually Long going to game. go. And, <laughs> I'm going to go and get it now. Yeah. Um, literally, that's on my list to go and grab. So, uh, and we'll put. I'll put a link to the. Uh, don't hit me, Alex. I'll put a link to the eShop. Um, yes. Link. Yeah, to it. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least people um, can play it. You know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, 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 I like physical copies too, uh, especially. Mm. Uh, but sometimes, if there's an eShop sale. Yes, oh yeah, can't, yeah, yeah, can't go wrong. Got to back to our regularly scheduled outro. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. You can check out the show notes for this episode, which will include links to Alex's channel and lots of good stuff that we've mentioned. Um, I'll try and put as much information about some of the games we've talked about in there as well. Head over to crosswise.net and you'll find the show notes for this episode. You can also subscribe there to the uh, Substack newsletter, which basically will let you get emails for all of our posts, all of our episodes. You can also find us in all the major podcast platforms. And of course, if you're a good pods listener, do start a discussion on this episode we'd love to hear from you i'd love to hear people's arcade memories so you can either put those in comments on the post itself uh, put them in good pods or email podcast at crosswires.net or tweet us at crosswiresmg. thank you everyone for listening we will see you next week oh and one thing to say alex you have the honor of being the last episode of crosswires to ever be recorded in this current studio, Hooray. which for <laughs> listeners who remember the old version of Crosswires, this is the mysterious housemate memorial studio. And yeah, it's it. I move out in a few days, so I've been rushing to get episodes together. But yeah, this is the last episode of Crosswires in the current location. So thank you, Alex. Oh, well, good luck with the move. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. My absolute pleasure, sir. Take care. Bye bye.